Most golfers would like to be able to play where the pros play. Sadly, we're not going to get on the PGA Tour, not with our skill set. However, you can still play where the pros have played if you put a bit of time and effort into it. This podcast tells you how to follow in the footsteps of giants. Welcome back to another episode of In the Footsteps of Giants, uh, a podcast, as we all know, that uh, is here to encourage you to get up and go out and play the golf courses around the world that the pros have played and uh, enjoy the experiences. But this particular episode has been a long time coming. Its original title was Two Men and a Statement of Intent. But uh, as, as time moved on and some things happened in the world of golf, it became known as Two Men and a Hastily Updated Episode. And then it turned out we didn't hastily update anything. Because this episode should have dropped on St. Patrick's Day. And, uh, you know, for St. Patrick's Day, we would have had, well, we would have had no Des. Because Des, Des is definitely an Irishman who enjoys his uh, St. Patrick's Day. And uh, he would have been out partying like it was 1999. But in Des's world, it's always 1999. So he parties away. But interestingly, thanks to COVID, as we now finally record this episode, we still have no Des. And it's not Des who has COVID. It's a family member. And so we said, no, I'm sorry. You can't come to the studio. So we're, uh, we are going to be co-piloted, co-hosted tonight by... Uh, Young Mike, who's getting his first chance in the co-pilot's chair. How are you feeling, Mike? Uh, I'm looking forward uh, to being the sort of the, the young whippersnapper who uh, steps into the, the co-pilot's uh, seat and uh, tries to, to fill the, the sizable shoes that, that Des typically uh, presents. Well, I, I think uh, one of the things I was thinking when I talked about you coming into the co-pilot's chair is, do you know anything about the Bhutan International Airport? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it, it's a good left-field shot, that one. There are only eight pilots in the world qualified to fly into Bhutan International Airfield. So being the co-pilot of In the Footsteps of Giants for one evening should not be as daunting as that. You should be able to slide right in and just glide along with uh, whatever we're attempting to do here tonight. So hopefully uh, we'll, we'll not overcomplicate things and we'll move on to talk about a whole range of things in golf. Now... Uh, just before we start that, yeah. by the way, I'd like to say, amazingly, this podcast now has listeners in 25 countries. No way. Yeah, well, I, don't be so surprised. You know, we, were, do I'm, we were doing this before you arrived. Well, I was know? just about to say, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming the exponential growth is sort of correlated with uh, me You're, coming on board. Huh? Um, <laughs> I, I think the interesting term with there that we'd have to debate for a period of time is exponential growth. Um, that, that would indicate a, a growth factor. We are an independent podcast talking about things that interest us. But interestingly, in the last couple of weeks, we have just developed listeners in Finland and the Netherlands. Brilliant. Like very entertainingly, by the way, I was in the, the Empire in Belfast on Botanic Avenue last night listening to a band called Steve and Seagulls, who are a Finnish 
country bluegrass rock band. And may I say, they were fantastic. So uh, I would quite hope they're listeners to this podcast. I suspect they're not. No. But we have listeners in Finland and the Netherlands. And so to honour their arrival, to honour you know the fact that they have joined the Itfog family, uh, we are tonight broadcasting from the Leuten Illonen suite here in the complex. Right. Now, and you're going to give context, of course. Well, uh, there is a context. Uh, Joost Leutnant is from the Netherlands, and Miko Illinen is from Finland, and they're both professional golfers on the DP World Tour. So it only seemed correct that we would actually go to a studio that reflected our new listening demographics. Yeah, yeah. You see, That's... this is the kind of all-inclusive podcast we are trying to be. Superb. You know, but... Quite a lot has happened since we recorded, and as I say, tonight's uh, episode title is officially Two Men and a Hastily Updated Episode, because we kind of had an episode yeah. more or less ready to go, and then some stuff happened, and so we're going to lead all our way to that, and it, it's almost like just tear up well, the script, except we don't really have a script, as <laughs> anybody who's listened to this yeah. podcast uh, knows, but tear up the notes and say, oh my goodness, that has all just gone wild again. So let's start where we were intending to start and kind of work our way through this. Yeah. So we're, we're looking back a couple of weeks to the Bay Hill uh, Invitational and the Players' Championship, both of which are now in the rearview mirror, Sorry. as, by the way, is the Valspar, but we'll we'll come to it as well. And, has uh, the players finished? It, <laughs> it eventually did. And actually, I do think I have a note here somewhere which said uh, the Players' Championship, the longest-running tournament on planet Earth. Felt like it. It did feel like, uh, seriously. But before we get to it, because there's uh, a couple other things, Scotty Scheffler wins the Bay Hill Invitational. Class. And that, so that's two out of the last three in at that time frame that Scotty Scheffler had won because he'd won in Scottsdale, and then he won at, the, uh, at Bay Hill. Yeah. Interestingly... Victor Hovland, in his last eight starts up to that point, had yielded six top five finishes, three wins, $5.5 million won in only eight starts. It's incredible. And he looks like he's having fun doing it. Yeah. Having said that, Scotty Scheffler does look like the real deal. He looks like a proper player. And, you know, looking back... He's obviously, he's, he's, I think he's only 25 or, or so. Um, yes, but people say he looks a lot older. People keep sort of saying, Scotty Scheffler, 41. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, this, it, this is the running gag, is that? Yeah, it is. He's, he's been on tour for, for years and years. But I think that where, where he, he really sort of came on my radar and, and the sort of the notoriety and, and the stature of the player really grew for me was his performance at the, at the Ryder Cup. His ball striking is is empirical. Um, he's so empirical sp- or imperious. Imperious, imperious. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know this goes back to when one of our listeners who said, "Who knows me in real life?" and he said, "Martin, you're every bit as annoying on the podcast as you are in real life." No, but so I'm just pointing that out. Martin, what do we always say in this podcast? <laughs> it's not it's educational. Just, it's just not entertainment. I know, I know. Um, but you know, a, a superb player, um, and you could you could start to see that momentum uh, go forward. So it was good to see him uh, win in Phoenix. And then get get through a Bay Hill um, because, like, you know, and and also good as as we have sort of said, like you know, Rory we love Victor Hovland is starting to step in into that that sphere where he's there thereabouts um, every week um, by the, by the looks of things, um, and he's he's an incredibly exciting player player to watch. But Scotty Scheffler with that win, 
collected uh, a cool two point two million dollars and stepped into world number five. So he's he's on the way up. There are a number of players that are charging up the table, and a number of players, and and we'll come back to that in a second because there's a few people that uh, Sam Burns is win at the Valspar. Uh, He's suddenly up ahead of some seriously talented names. Yeah. But anyway, Rory uh, had a great start at Bay Hill. Minus seven on the first day. Was he 66, 65? Blowing it all away. And then he just faded. He completely faded. He completely faded. And he did appear to be somewhat frustrated because when he was asked a question, and the question he was asked was, is it frustrating when you're asked about certain conditions? You're asked about a course, Bay Hill, and explaining gets misconstrued publicly as maybe complaining. And Rory's answer was, it wasn't misconstrued. I was definitely complaining. (laughs) Because Bay, Bay Hill, Bay Hill just seemed to actually be set up in an extraordinarily difficult manner. Yeah. And there is an interesting point here because my question is, did you enjoy watching some of the best players struggle around Bay Hill or did you start to lose interest? With the, and, and that's the interesting point is Rory, I think he said, you know, he felt, he felt punch drunk. He felt like it was crazy golf um, to, to one aspect. And then, one of the reporters started to lean into that as to say, like, you know, w- w- what do you mean? Like, what was so bad about the setup um, that or the, the setup that you didn't like? And basically what he was saying was um, he didn't feel rewarded for good shots. Um, you know, it was overly, overly penal type of things. He said, look, I've got no issue with, you know, a bad shot um, um, being being uh, penalised and, and you having to sort of get up and down. He just said, but whenever, you, whenever you've whenever you got a, a 170 flag and you land at 160 in the middle of the green and it runs off the back, that to me just isn't fair. And I think it was listening to another podcast and um, it was Harry Higgs uh, was on it and he said exactly that point and you're probably going to, Jump in on that too. Well, I'm not going to jump in because it's a very well-made point that I had written down here. (laughs) Harry Higgs and the New Laying Up uh, podcast indicated that many players might choose to miss the Arnold Palmer Invitational in the future if the setup isn't to their liking because it was... Now, there is a very... uh, and quite an amusing point, actually, that comes with it because they said that... Bay Hill was so difficult this year because it was drier yeah. than it's ever been. There'd been an incredibly dry spell in Florida and the course was running firmer, faster, much much more difficult than it normally would. And that point Rory's making, you couldn't get the ball to stop on the greens. But then the winner always is the winner. But interestingly, uh, as we said, um, that you know it was the most dry conditions that had ever been on a run-up to an Arnold Palmer Invitational. Those conditions didn't really last. No. Bay Hill is kind of in my rearview mirror. It yeah. does, sort of feels like a long time ago Big because time. I then spent a month and a half watching the Players' Championship, <laughs> which is how it felt. It really did. It really did. I think I sent you uh, a text message on, I think it must have been the Saturday or the Sunday. When which it was- month? <laughs> and this is it. And we were trying to figure out, okay, well, when are we going to do... The, the next podcast, we said, well, whenever the players finish and we get the, the live golf statements and different things, we'll, we'll, we'll try and pull one in. Yeah. But it looked like that was almost going to be a Tuesday morning. Um, the way the way things were, or sorry, it was going to finish on Tuesday. By the way, things were going at one stage. It certainly was was setting up like that. And uh, you know, for me, each year, Sawgrass TPC Sawgrass 
is one of the great tournaments of the year. Uh, anybody that lis- has listened to this podcast over the last 18 months or so will know that we wax lyrical about this golf course. Yeah. We absolutely love it. We've been very, very fortunate to have played it on a number of occasions. And so you get very excited about it and you, you get teed up and all the rest. And actually, there's a very interesting debate actually on a number of the uh, radio programs at the moment that the 17th is not a good hole. Yeah. And and I, again, not jumping ahead to, to some discussion about the 17th, but it did create some absolute chaos this year. Yeah. But so did a lot of other holes yeah. uh, because of the, the, the conditions. But I, I have said there was on, on Twitter recently, somebody asked the question, what is the best hole on a TPC Sawgrass? And my answer was, I absolutely love hole number four, mm-hmm. hole number seven, hole number nine, hole 11, 13, 15, 16, and 18. But anybody that doesn't list 17 is an idiot because that's why you go to sawgrass in the Absolutely. first place. The eighteenth is insanely difficult hole. Yeah. yeah, as we as we saw this week with, and I think that coming off seventeen, sorry, even even playing sixteen, long par five, water water uh, on the right hand side. So you you know if you're going for it in two, uh, you need to absolutely stitch it. Um, seventeen, you need to be right on it uh, in terms of your ball striking, control of ball flight as we'll come on to, uh, was the, a, a topic of discussion and, and much derision between Brandel, uh, um, Chambly and uh, Paul McGinley. And then feeling like you're getting a bit of a reprieve, walking off 17 and then stepping on the 18 and going, okay, if I'm left, I'm dead. If I'm right, I'm in the, I'm in the trees. And as we saw, best players in the world pitching out sideways and, and sticking it in the water. I have walked that fairway. Yeah. I have stood there. In fact, I've seen balls go into that water. Yeah. Um, you know, it is really, really difficult. But I'm going to come back to that. Yeah. And I know it sounds like we've jumped a little bit ahead because we got into it. But the week of the Players' Championship started off with something every bit as memorable. And that is the fact that Tiger Woods got inducted into the World Golf Hall of Fame. Yeah. And his daughter gave us the biggest nugget on Tiger's character that we've ever been given when she actually said during this speech and she revealed that Tiger is a comic book fan and he has been to Comic Con disguised as Batman. No, I, did, I haven't heard this. Did you not see no. this? Oh, no, he, he has apparently gone to Comic Con. He'll ring his friends up. They'll talk about the Marvel Universe. They'll talk about DC Comics and all the rest of it. But he's been to Comic Con disguised as Batman. Brilliant. Isn't that absolutely in, insanely good? Imagine if you were at Comic Con, you suddenly realised, hang on a second, Batman is a superhero because he's Tiger Woods. This is that is class. That is absolutely. And then Tiger made his speech, and the interesting thing about Tiger's speech is he focused almost entirely on his childhood, the impact of his parents, work ethic, mm-hmm. and sacrifice particularly his parents' sacrifice, taking a second mortgage to allow him to play junior uh, tournaments. And nowhere in his speech did he mention any of his golfing accomplishments. So he goes into the Hall of Fame as unquestionably, in my opinion, I mean, the whole debate, who is the the better golfer? The most successful golfer in terms of majors is Jack. Jack, The best golfer of all time, in my view, is Tiger. Agree. But I, th- I think that's so they can both sit at the top of the tree yeah. and nobody else touch them. But Tiger's impact on the game of golf, the way he actually turned 
golf around and brought money into the sport. Absolutely. Is unlike anybody before him. Totally. But there's a brilliant quote comes from Tiger's junior days as well. Tiger arrived at a junior tournament when he was, you know, presumably only 15, 16. Yeah. And he asks uh, two questions at the as he walks into the club. Where's the first tee and what is the course record? Brilliant. I and, love that. And, and this go, you know, people are going, how cool is that? That was, that was his target. Well, what is your course record? Because I'm going to beat it. Super. And uh, I don't know if you read the Jack Nicklaus uh, statement about Tiger going into the World Golf Hall of Fame. No. Oh, you haven't you haven't read this? No. Talk amongst yourselves, listeners, as I just turn this up. Because um, if Mike hasn't actually uh, heard this yet, I think we should share this. This is what Jack Nicholas wrote uh, in a note to Tiger or about Tiger. I have known Tiger Woods since he was about thirteen years old. When during a clinic I was giving at Bel Air Country Club in Los Angeles, I first saw this slender teenager display some of the promise that manifested into 15 majors. What I didn't know until last night's induction was that a year later, his parents mortgaged again their house just so he could play junior tournaments. I learned of the sacrifices his parents made, the discrimination Tiger had to face, and the passion for the game and work ethic his father instilled in him with words like, I had to be twice as good to be given half a chance. Tiger grew up understanding that nothing was given and everything you want and deserve has to be earned. Tiger, my friend, you absolutely earned a spot in the Hall of Fame and deserve to be celebrated for all you have accomplished in the game and all you have given to this game. What a brilliant letter. Isn't that a nice letter? Yeah. I wish I'd got that from Jack. Yeah. It, it would come across quite well. Yeah. You know, but... Um, it would be complete fiction, but... <laughs> it, would, it would be absolutely fiction. Um, I, I don't think... Um, <laughs> I don't think my uh, 20 RPT majors is, is really... Although I think that should get me into the World Golf Hall of Fame, but Indeed. I know my fellow renegades would probably say they're not real, Marty. But uh, anyway, yeah. all of these things are happening. And then before the Players' Championship officially starts, Jay Monahan comes out. Yeah. And he starts making a couple of statements. And this was where we left our last podcast, which was, is the SGL dead in the water or is it not? And we felt the story was going to continue to run, but we felt that it had been dealt some serious blows by Phil's comments. Yeah. Now... Jay Monaghan comes out uh, and opens his comments to the pre-players press conference with the phrase, the PGA Tour is moving on and stating that the PGA are focused on legacy, not leverage. That is a direct hit yeah. at Phil and Phil's comments about leverage and, and all the rest of it and that we're just not playing the game. Yeah. And I've, I've heard an interview with Jay Monaghan since and... Man, he is cold. Yeah, he really is. He is really cold and just focused on, and even, just read between the lines. But Jay then went on to say about Phil in an interview, I have not talked to Phil since he made his comments and since he stepped away. I would welcome a phone call from him. Ultimately, a conversation will be had when he's ready to have it. I'll be ready to have it as well. 
No. I, that sounds like you're going to the headmaster's it's office. Ominous. And, and, you know, you're still up for uh, expulsion. Yeah. Or at least uh, suspension. Do you know what, Martin? He he needs to be put in his box. And and that 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 statement by itself is is probably clarified the position that or the the sort of the conjecture that we had the last time we were on was has Phil taken a leave of absence? Has he been suspended? It sounds like he's taken a leave of absence, absence, but but Jay Monaghan still needs to and wants to deal with it um, directly with him, which which I think is totally totally apt. Well, again, one of the things that I took as a conclusion is that you know the way it's set up, Phil is not technically suspended. Yeah. I don't believe he's actually suspended. But I think it was likely communicated to him that he would be if he didn't voluntarily step away. Okay. So I think he's been told, uh, step away and and we'll stall on this for the time being. And that's what Phil did because I actually think despite everything, Phil doesn't really want to go to war. No. I think Phil suddenly realized, oops, the other side have decided yeah. to, to stand firm here. Now... I think the other thing that my conclusions were at that point, and we're a long way to go before this gets us to the the next level, I believe at that point, with the other players coming out and saying, I'm with the PGA Tour, I've always loved the PGA Tour. No, 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 no. I wasn't one of the 20 or one of the four who had written the constitution for the SGL. And we'll come back to that as well, because there's another interesting point there. I believe that at that point in time, just ahead of the Players' Championship, Jay Monaghan believed that Greg Norman is somewhat stymied and there's basically no need to actually you know, communicate with him. Because yeah. in fact, Jay said when he was asked, had he spoken to Greg Norman? I have not. Would he like to speak to Greg Norman? Nope. I think we're going down our own paths. I'm focused on the PGA Tour and how we can grow our business. They're trying to accomplish what they're trying to accomplish. And, that, you know, you're going, th- these are these are comments that are pretty much, yeah. they're very well written, they're very well tailored, but my goodness, they are, tell- the, the level of animosity, in my opinion, hidden behind all of this, it's a gentlemanly game. Yeah. But in reality, yeah. there is nothing gentlemanly about the battle that is going on for professional golf. Agreed. Agreed. Jay Monaghan has poise. Uh, and he's been patient, but this statement is covering off a lot of points. Um, <laughs> there's an awful lot of verbal water, waterboarding going on in it uh, against the the upstarts in the form of, of Phil Mickelson um, and Greg Norman. Can we actually use the phrase waterboarding? But do you know what? I think I get your point, Mike. Yeah. Um, you a, know, a, a poor turn of phrase. Well, maybe it is, but I think sometimes th- this is the advantage of the podcast. Here is that we're actually on doing this podcast to give our opinions of where, from a fan's eye perspective, yeah. an awful lot of the podcasts I listen to are very much from pro players, pro commentators, people who are very much around the game of golf day and daily. Agreed. We are the consumers. Totally. We are the people that actually watch this stuff are interested in this and how it impacts our viewing and our enjoyment of the sport we love. Yeah. And we are the people that put the money in the pockets to, to pay for this. Absolutely. Not just you and me, Michael, though it does sometimes feel like that. But <laughs> no, but and I, and I guess like that, that it's, it's an interesting aspect on it because as you say, a lot of the other podcasts that we listen to are, are professional golfers or professional uh, podcasters um, that, that have great connections with, with golf and inside tracks and different things. 
we're very much taking the approaches you know as as the consumer of the product from from the PGA from from all, uh, the golf world what what how it relates to us um and how we feel about it um and different things and and I think you know obviously with everything kicking off this week with with Live Golf Invitational not no longer referred to as the SGL as as Greg was And I think that's a, that's a, that's another interesting point and as I say that is when we get to what might appear to a lot of listeners like part 27 of tonight's podcast <laughs> but do you know this podcast might run longer than the players championship <laughs> it could it could do but an awful lot can happen uh, in a day um, particularly at the moment, unless you're at the at the TPC Sawgrass. But no, it's 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 been an interesting it's been an interesting week. It's been one whereby we've been waiting with bated breath as to see what this announcement is going was going to be, um, uh, and what we were going to to actually hear. We we we've got a bit of color. We we do have some color, uh, not from the Valspar. Uh, tournament, which oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, which is uh, has happened. Sam Burns as well. won. We've covered it. Yes, yeah, <laughs> Sam Sam Burns won, and uh, Valspar they are a, a very good sponsor of a tournament in just outside Tampa, um, which was about as interesting as watching paint dry, and uh, you know it it kind of really was. <laughs> And um, much as, uh, you know, most people don't like you to say things like that, some golf tournaments are better watching than others. Agreed. And, and I think, like, that type of tournament, uh, and we have them peppered throughout the, the, the PGA schedule uh, each year, and some of them are televised. You watch them or you watch snippets of them, and there's just nothing inspiring about it. And, you know, like, fair play to Sam Burns. He, he got a win. He seems to be a, a fantastic player. The guy, Sam Riley? The runner-up who is a rookie and hasn't actually won yet, Mr. Riley. Yeah. Now, he, he looks like a player too. And when we learn his first name and remember it, um, we can talk about him more in the future. But the, the reality is, you're absolutely right, Sam Burns wins, goes into the top 10 in the world, and that's fine. And do you know what? We still haven't arrived at the Players' Championship. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why tonight's podcast is really a bit unusual for us because so much stuff has happened. And then with various distractions along the way, we're kind of playing a bit of catch up here, which is so unusual for what we do. Yeah. Um, but let's go back to the players yep. and, and logically try and get ourselves to the point where we, we do other things. So all of that happens before the Players' Championship. Jay Mullen comes out, makes his statements, everything is out. The SGL is dead in the water. That's where we kind of were. Yeah. And so the Players' Championship starts. Now, it starts brilliantly because Patrick Reed is back in the news for another dubious call. And a lot of people are debating, are calling rules officials out to, to get a ruling, to get a run. Patrick, no. Yeah. I'm just moving the ball and it'll be fine. And it led me to think... Is it possible that Patrick just knows the rules better than everyone else? I think going on previous indiscretions, <laughs> alleged indiscretions, I can conclusively give my opinion that I do not think he knows the rules or or he is in flagrant disregard to them. I always find it amusing that when it is consistently the same player uh-huh. and you just go, Surely, based on every other row you've been involved with, yeah. and every other controversy that you you've created, surely eventually go. Ah, uh, 
Could we get a rules official out here? I just want to double check because I've already got a reputation for being yeah. just a little bit on the edge here. I, ju- I could just see whenever whenever he finds himself in that situation, the the producer um, for CBS or whoever's televising it is get the blimp in and any man who's got a camera, get over to the whatever hold Patrick Reed's hat. Let's get this from every angle because it is exactly that, Martin. Whenever whenever you hear um, him and his caddy start to talk about it and you're just like, just just call a rules official in, man. Just just do it. for Because we, we saw at the players this week. Everybody else did. Berger this week with Victor Hovland um, and Joel Damon with uh, a, a bit of um, dispute around where the ball crossed, um, crossed the hazard and different things. So, if in doubt, call call in the rules official. Apparently, that didn't go particularly smoothly. That it most certainly uh, did not. And, and Victor Hovland, who normally is Mister Smiley, yeah. and Joel Damon, who is um, most recently renowned for getting his shirt off at sixteen at uh, TBC Scottsdale uh, in the celebrations with Harry Higgs, both basically said, mm, "I think you're being a little optimistic with where you're placing the yeah. ball." And it is it is very difficult. But I mean, the reality is, Berger eventually took. Their advice, but he wasn't at all happy about it. He had a good old strop. Um, he he did. No, okay. First round of the Players' Championship took three days to play. Is that what it was? Three three days. days. No, I think they got a little bit of the second round in on the third day. Yeah. Um, but uh, or in fact, yeah, I think it was yeah three days before this. Yeah, they got half of the second round in. But here's the interesting point: is if you were in the back half of the draw on day one, mm-hmm. you got absolutely stuffed. Yeah. Because you got the worst of the of the weather for the next two days and stop, start, stop, start. And then you got the howling wind first thing in the morning where, in fact, the first five of the first six players who had started where they'd finished and had to play 17 pretty much early doors, five of six stuffed it in the water. One of the great stats that I, I, I came across is on the Saturday morning, mm-hmm. okay, Xander Schofley went from tied ninth to tied 90th in two holes, starting his Saturday. Good grief. So in two holes, he actually went from being in tied ninth to tied 90th. And that was all down to the wind, and, and he started, I mean, he plonked it in the water at 17. I think he also plonked it in the water at 18, you know, and he drops like a stone. And in fact, nearly everybody who was in the back half of the draw, very few people, Justin Thomas being an exception, yeah, they all struggled. Yeah. And and really the winner came from the, the front half of the field. But, you know, you start going, so by, by Sunday lunchtime, our time, yeah. The second round was out of the way and the third round had started and then third round played out Monday and they played the fourth round on Monday and they got it finished. Yeah. But Shane Laurie gets a hole in one yeah. on 17. Place goes mental. Nearly breaks Ian Poulter's hand. <laughs> he did, he did. There's a, there's a little bit of debate as well is if you were there and your playing partner scored a hole in one, would you celebrate with him? Or there's some people on Twitter say, this is ridiculous. Your competitor has just got a hole in one. Why are you happy for him? I've got to say, it depends who it is. If it's Patrick Reed or Bryson DeChambeau, probably not. Um, but if 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 it's any other uh, uh, player out there, yeah, it's look, it's 
I, I, I don't know what the odds are. I would imagine they're they're pretty they're pretty low, particularly at, at TPC Sawgrass. But um, yeah, you you know you you'll revel in in somebody's joy at, at making a hole in one at seven at seventy to Sawgrass. Absolutely, I would have thought so. Yeah, we we have a very famous story from one of our visits there, where in a single day we ended up playing the seventeenth three times because okay. we played thirty six holes at Sawgrass, but because uh, it had been a shotgun start in the afternoon, uh, when we were driving back. There was nobody on 17, so we just played it again. Love it. Well, well, we could. And my mate, Scotty, who is semi-legendary on this podcast for for certainly the first year and a bit, never turning up to do an episode, and we talk about him all the time. Scotty had three birdies on the 17th in a single day, one of which hit a sleeper at the back and bounced backwards and stayed in the green. He holed a 10-footer, a 20-footer, and a 35-footer. No way. For birdie on the same day. So... The following year, when the tournament's coming up, Scotty draws up diagrams, sends it all off to Sky Sports as an interesting story for them to tell. They never broadcast it. They've never told it? No, because they probably looked at it and went, I Never happened. Never happened. But I'd like to say, on our podcast, it is true. Bill absolutely played off the tournament tee, and he had three birdies in a single day. That's superb. What does Scotty play off? Um, About... 14 or 15 at the time. Okay. So to have three birdies on 17 is is some going. Um, he's also played it a number of other times and ended up in the water, as everybody who plays it does at some point. But here are a few extra takeaways from the back end of the Players' Championship that, that are worthy of note. Okay, Victor has another go. Yep. Charges, falls away. Doesn't quite get the job done on this occasion because he's very good at getting the job done on the final day. Paul Casey... Gets the most seriously unlucky break I think I've ever seen. Rob of the green. On, on 16, where it rolled down and went into somebody else's pitch mark. Interestingly, as they debated, if it had been his own pitch mark, he yep. gets a drop. Yep. But because it's somebody else's pitch mark, he doesn't. Yep. Did it cost him the tournament? I don't think so. Did it cost him the chance of going for the tournament? Yes, I do yeah. think so. I don't think that alone cost him the tournament. Uh, and I think he was a little frazzled when he then got to uh, 17. Yeah. Uh, although he did make a, a par, <laughs> but I'd have to say Cam Smith's shot on 17. He, he pushed up. He did push it. Yeah. Oh, there's no yeah. question he pushed 100% it. 100% pushed it. In fact, I think he's even said, yeah, I pushed it. Did he? A little. I think he has Good. basically come so far as to say, yeah, it was a little bit right of the line. I really wanted it on. Yeah. You know? And so it was a hell of a shot. Anurban Lahiri fights all the way to the wire, yeah. could very nearly have got it done, especially since Cam Smith decided to wing it into the water going up Incredible. 18, as we talked about briefly earlier. But here's the stats and the reason that Cam Smith won. It is as simple as, on the final day, he had 10 putts on the back nine. And for the week, he had 101 putts for the week. That's incredible. And the other stat is he hit less than 50% of fairways. So, I mean, he was scrambling like there is no tomorrow. And then he won 3.6 million, which puts your your previous Arnold Palmer Invitational, the, the 2.3 or whatever it is, yeah. into he wins 3.6 million. And then he does what only Cam Smith can do. He invites 30 caddies to his house on Monday night for pizza and beers. What a legend. And I, I, I think that is it. He is just yeah. a low... Get a haircut. Yeah, that's it. 
Julie came in uh, to, to watch the golf with me at one stage and I don't think she's ever seen Cam Smith, but uh, she likened him to uh, the hick in The Simpsons with the, the sort of the, the mullet haircut and the, the sort of the, the, the disheveled kind of look to him. But um, no, look, brilliant. What, what a... He's, I, I really like Cam Smith. He, he actually did one of those um, uh, programs where he took uh, took the guy around his house and showed what it was. He just seemed really down to earth, um, good guy and different things. So, And like, his family were there to see him win and he hadn't seen his family in a couple of years because of COVID. Yeah. So, I mean, again, a good news story. He definitely seems like a good bloke. But then he's Australian. Yeah. But then not all Australians are good blokes because I suppose we'll come back to yeah. that. <laughs> what, what, just rounding that out, what an up and down on 18. Oh, unbelievable. Incredible. I mean, I hate to say this because, again, the podcast was originally designed, as we know, to talk about our exploits and, and all the rest. And we branched into this kind of commentary on world golf and because we've become more and more interested. But I've made that up and down. Yeah. Only once, mind you. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I, I made an up and down from there for a four on that hole. Now, I wasn't playing the final round of the Players' Championship and I wasn't, but I did play it off the pro tee. Yeah. Uh, as we always do, we always play pro tees on 17 and 18 just to get the true feel of the place. And I'd hit I'd hit a driver and a five iron, a bit of a fatty five iron up and I had to pitch up to rough and the flag was roughly in the same place and made about a six foot putt. So I know exactly yeah, how ca- Cam yeah. feels. And I think it's important to get that sort of story out there. This is originally where our episode was kind of due to end. Yeah. This this was where the, the original sort of notes and everything was coming because, and then we had a little bit of delay, COVID-related, a little bit of delay. Suddenly some stuff came out. We needed to do some more research. We felt that it was important to get it all out on this one type of podcast. So we, we sat through the Valspar, yeah. which, as we say, didn't blow our socks off. No. And then I didn't know where it happened. Yeah. The first genuine announcement that gave us some real detail. Greg Norman actually releases the the courses, where they're going to be. Now, I, I do have uh, the courses. Do you want me to kick off with the you first? You kick off. So the June uh, the 9th to 11th, which is the first uh, tournament, is at the Centurion Golf Club in London. Ever heard of it? Never heard of it. I hear it is an absolute bog um, in winter, which I suppose is probably kind of like uh, Fort William. Um, oh, oh dear. We've just alienated the hundreds of listeners we have in North <laughs> Belfast. Uh, second one is July 1st to the 3rd, which is Pumpkin Ridge Golf Club in Portland, Oregon. Ever heard of it? I'll be honest. It's not on my radar. No. July 29th to the 31st, uh, Trump National Golf Club at Bedminster in New Jersey. Now, I have heard of that one. I agree with you. I have heard of it, but can I say very much about the golf course? No, I don't no. think it's ever had a televised event, but uh, well, I, no. I've finally heard of one. The Women's US Open 2017, I think, was at it. Was it? It could have been. I'd have to check. We'll, 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 we'll get back to that one, listeners. September 2nd to the 4th, the International Boston, Massachusetts. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. No, I haven't said that there's hundreds of courses in America I've never heard of, but yeah. mean, th- this is now being released as, as the venue. Well, you think, do you remember whenever we, we were talking about this and there was the, the speculation of eight to 14 events and worldwide, and there was there was a suggestion that it could be 
Trump Aberdeen and and all sorts of other other courses. And we were getting really excited because we were like, well, if they're going to be at those courses, of course we'd be interested in looking at it. And then they release this, and you're like, this is this is suitably underwhelming. And some of the some of the courses, we'll we'll rip through the rest of them, but. Um, September 16th to the 18th, uh, Rich Harvest Farms in uh, Chicago, Illinois. October 7th to the 9th, Stonehill Golf Club, Bangkok, Thailand. October 14th to 16th, uh, Royal Greens Golf Club, Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Is that not the course that they actually held the Saudi invitation I think on? it is, yeah. I'm Sorry, it is, yeah. Because there is. are in Saudi Arabia, as I understand it, how many functional golf courses as we sit today? Yeah. Two. Really? Is my understanding, but I've I've tried to research this, and it's it's really difficult to get information, accurate information. But I think there's only two. That's incredible. And then and then last um, October twenty eighth, the thirtieth team championship to be arranged. Speculation on this that this is Doral, potentially, which is another Trump course, which is another Trump course. The reason, uh, and again, speculation why they haven't released or confirmed this is one. Uh, will it get all the way to the eighth event? And secondly, there's an awful lot of refurbishment going on at, at uh, Trump Doral at the moment, so they're not entirely sure whether or not it'll be ready. Interestingly, actually, the first three events uh, cross over with the RBC Canadian Open. Good event. John Deere. An okay event. Yeah. And the third one, I can't remember. Rocket Mortgages Detroit. in Detroit. Yes. Which, very interestingly... Phil Mickelson has had a major problem with. He has had a row with Detroit. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. He had... Phil's uh, fallen out with someone? Oh, he did. And he had a major issue because something happened or some local press made some comment he didn't like and Phil fell out with Detroit and basically said he would never, ever play there again. Now, I think that's interesting because I, I, I think that may well be true. Yeah. Um, but the Rocket Mortgages in Detroit is a well-established tournament and they are crossing over against those, and they are courses in America. Yeah. And I think this is the big difference between what has previously happened and people being released to go and play on other tours, because they're established tours, they're overseas, they can they can do anything else. Now, um, interestingly, what Greg has also announced is that it's 48 players per event, yeah. it's a shotgun start, it is 54 holes, and there's a team element, which does seem to be an awful lot of uh, the uh, PGL. Andy Gardner's PGL concept. Yeah. The eight events provide a total of $255 million of prize money for eight events. Meaning that each event, base prize money is about $25 million plus team bonuses. And then there's bonuses end of season. Now, although no players have officially declared that they're in as yet. I was doing some very fast maths uh, on this. And let's just say they don't change the prize money for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And they are dangling for 48 player fields, $2.55 billion as prize money. Now, this doesn't include anything where you're maybe signing players up to get them to play on this. But actually, that amount of money is going to attract players. We've said yeah. this before. If they follow through and throw the money at it, there will be players who go play it. Yeah. Now, I, I think like me, you watched the uh, Colt Nost 
yeah. uh, podcast where he had Greg Norman on in the last few days. And Colton Austin said afterwards, we asked as many questions as we could, but we tried to say because we wanted Greg Norman to, to tell us as much as possible, yeah. which Greg did. And here are the takeaways that, and I, I'm going to be honest, and I think Greg Norman made a couple of very valid points. And here are the, his valid points. Yeah. What Greg said was, we are a startup. You know, we, we, we are not established. Very well-capitalized startup. A very, very well-capitalized startup. And in fact, what we previously said, that there were going to be 13 or 14 events on a new tour, is in fact, we're just offering eight events and we're not really in competition because we're a startup. And we've had to change our model because we're a startup. And we've had to look at how we do everything because we're a startup. And I think that's true. They are a startup and they're trying to muscle in. They're also, as we've said before, disruptors. Yeah. And disruptors have to start. And frequently the first disruptor doesn't actually survive. But the concept changes uh, and everything else. The other thing Greg said, which I think is true, is that uh, golf has got a, a problem of an aging demographic. Indeed. And that the average golf fan, he quoted as 65 and a half years old. And I'd like to say young Mike uh, you don't fall into that category and you're pretty passionate about the sport. Absolutely. Sadly, I'm getting kind of close to falling into the, the demographic where I started to take less cognizance of what Greg was saying was by the 16th time he used the phrase startup, yep. where he, 16th time he maybe used the phrase independent contractors. Yep. Because I think independent contractors who have been earning a living on the PGA Tour know the rules. Yeah. They know what they've signed up to. Greg's trying to say that doesn't matter. You know, they're independent contractors. You can't hold them to this. He he doesn't want to cap flat out say we'll win the legal battle because he's not convinced they will. Yeah, clearly. And that in fact that the PGA tour could be justified in saying, look, if you go start playing these, especially events that cross over against PGA events, the other thing he's changed, dramatically changed, mm -hmm. which was he previously said, you play, you sign up, you play, but you got to play all the events. Yeah. And now he's saying, no, no, you can just play one or two. I you can choose. dip in, dip out. Yeah. And actually, that it makes a lot more sense. Well, you think about it, Martin. Like, case in point, and I'm, I'm not saying that, that Live Golf Invitational, as, as, as we've now been advised oh, yes. to call it. Yes, they, they took great exception when Colt Nost and Drew both actually said at various times the SGL, and they said, get that out of your, your head. head. Yeah. Get it out of your head. This is not the Saudi Golf League. Uh, this is Live Golf just happens to be funded by the Saudi Public it Investment just Fund. Does. To me, it's the SGL. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think Greg is overstating when he says, look, this isn't, we're just, it's live golf, you know, and even the way he's now calling it live golf, because it's actually, it's Roman numerals, golf. Um, but live golf sounds, oh, really quite nice. Let's yeah. live golf, hey, you know, exactly. go out there and play on the course. But actually, what he's doing is he is gambling hugely that the pots of money and the potential, which is where I think he's really gambling, that the four majors run not by the PGA Tour. The PGA Tour runs none of the four majors. Yeah. That they, in fact, can't, be, the top players cannot be banned if they're qualified. And he's talking about that there's uh, ranking points available via connection to um, the Asian Tour. Yeah. But I would have thought you'd have had to play Asian tour events. Yeah. And these, unless they're going to be co-sanctioned. Well, on, on, but 
I think, and this is the thing, is that so because it's an invitational, and he was, I think he was quick to 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 add to that point whenever he was saying our tour, and he says actually it's not a tour, it's our events. So the Asian tour co-sanction his events, which are invitationals. So, and I think that's the, how he gets the official world golf ranking is because of the affiliation with. I, I could be wrong, but again, this is the the sort of. The, the piece that, that we're still trying to sort of, well, I'm trying to work out, I guess. Well, I, I think lots of people in the world of golf are trying to work out exactly what it means, you know, underneath. Mm-hmm. Because he, he'll say a lot, he'll come across and he tries to be very charming and honest. And, and quite honestly, it's not really working it's for not me. Not the slightest. Um, and I did ask you, which I, I probably shouldn't have at the time, how many times did you vomit listening to him? And I mean, that is... I think that is my, my biggest problem with it because he, he's not being straightforward and saying, yeah, I'm trying to take this. Yeah, I'm really just trying to take this away to do what I want to do, what I've always wanted to do. And, uh, you know, I'll take the players away. But he did say something very interesting that slipped. And what he said was, when we see who wants to play, it's my choice who plays. Yeah, yeah. As commissioner. So in other words, if he, if he in his head says, I'm going to take the 48 highest ranking players, because he kept talking, Mike, about 380, 280, 180. Now, I know that piqued your interest. Well, because that, that that's the interesting thing, Martin. Um, and going back, to, going back to that point of, of you know, who, who does the consumer? And we're the consumer. We, we want to watch the best golfers at the best golf courses and, and see all of the, the, the theatrics that, that, that come with that. And, and he made a couple of, couple of points, um, one of which where he sort of scaled back uh, from where he was at the start as to say, look, listen, you know, look, look at the NCAA and, and the sort of the feeder system that that's creating and different things. And, you know, if- apparently the NCAA with their open policy, especially in football, has created chaos. Really? Oh, in, in American football and name image likeness, uh, which is NIL or whatever they refer to it as, name image likeness is now players. So you can come out of school, sign at a college and somebody can sign you up and pay you a million dollars a year. And that's now perfectly legal. Really? And the NCAA is, is supposedly amateur sport, yeah. but you're being paid for name image likeness. That's crazy. No, but you see, I think this is where it could go. Yeah. And I think they could start looking to take college players and create this and the next set of superstars who don't have the history. And we've talked about this before. Just go, hang on a second. I'm being paid a base salary. Yeah. Plus great potential prize money in a in a limited field. Yeah. But Greg Norman made the point, if if... 380 in the world wins, 280 in the world, 180 in the world wins, then the other players are going to go, hang on a second, I could kick his butt. Yeah. So I'm going to go play one of these just to prove that they don't have the best player in the world. So who in your research, Mike, yeah. are the 380, 280, and 180 in the world? So starting off at 380, we've got uh, Jasper Sevenson, who's Swedish. I was going to say Scandinavian, definitely. Yeah. 280, you'll know this guy. Uh, Scott Jameson, Scottish player. Yeah, he's been he's featured in sort of the European Tour a couple of times. Um, was actually tipped to be a very good player, and then sort of fell away. And then one eighty is Michael Thompson. He's a US player. Kind of remember him sort of being there thereabouts. Scott Jameson, yeah, and Jesper Sevenson. No offense, um, I've never heard of him. But I remember, and this is a, a very good point, in 2009, I was with one of my other fellow renegades and we went to the um, PGA Championship at Wentworth. And we walked from the car park 
out onto the golf course and stood at the 17th tee and saw three of the greatest tee shots I've ever seen live hit down the 17th at Wentworth. And I looked at the name board and I looked at Pete and I went, have you heard of any of those boys? And Pete goes, nope. No. There are an awful lot of very, very good players. If, if, if I was 180 in the world, I'm an exceptional player. If yeah. I'm 380 in the world, I'm an exceptional player. Yeah. Okay. These are great players. Yeah. But they're not star par. No. And they're, you know, a lot of them are going to scrape a living because really only the, the, the top, if you're not onto the PGA Tour and you're not at the top of the DP World Tour or the top of the Asian Tour, you're not making a brilliant living. You're, you're making an at-risk living. You can yeah. do well one year and, and be in trouble the next. Greg is going to take the very best players he can get to play. And the minute that anybody in the top 100 signs, and you've got 48 of them if they sign, Nobody in the next 100 or the next 100 is getting a look in. Not in the slightest. So where do they go play then? Yeah. So if Greg uses them now to get the fields up and running to tempt the other players because number 280 in the world just won $3.5 million and changed his life forever. And again, I'm wondering whether or not, you know, is if you win a live invitational event, do you have automatic rights to play in the other ones going forward because there's a bonus pool and everything else? What is the positioning? Uh, is there, you know, if you're in the top of the leaderboard? Yeah. Because, again, if you if you come 20th in a 48-man event with this amount of prize money, you've been reasonably well paid. So the following week, 28 other blokes who are much higher up the rankings than you sign up, are you just hoofed off? Yeah, is, it, is this where the draft kicks in and yeah, then you wh- select your players? Wh- or What is the story? Yeah. And, you know, people don't realise the risk they take mm-hmm. with changing. There's an established system. The Corn Ferry Tour, you go play it, you try and come through. The PGA Tour, you try and come through. Uh, the DP World Tour, the Challenge Tour, yeah. whatever. Maybe you go play the Asian Tour, the Japanese Tour, the Sunshine Tour. You you go and play, and that's how players gain their experience and yeah. see if they're winners, and they can work their way up to the top tour. Totally. Now, what Greg wants to do is obviously take the top players and just use them week in, week out. He says, I'm going to save their bodies because I'm going to pay them more money. It's all heart. It's all, it's all fantastic um, and all the rest of it. But there isn't yet a golf course that I'm intrigued by. Not in the slightest. Uh, in any of these things. And there isn't actually a format I yet truly understand. And there isn't a single player. Although having said that, a couple of very interesting points. Uh, one, Phil Mickelson is now not playing the Masters. Yeah. That's just been announced. He's not playing the Masters. Which he's entitled to play as a past uh, champion. Yeah. He is in a situation where, quite honestly, the PGA Tour can't stop him playing at the Masters. But he's choosing not to. Now that may well be part of the penance he's going to have to pay to get back in with Greg and the boys to say, look, I'm very sorry. I will be your first man up. I will sign. Okay, you're paying me no less of an introductory fee because I was an idiot, and but I'm going to come and play for the money. Yeah. And to see who follows because that's what they need. They need a couple of those big names. But none of these golf courses, and there's still no detail no detail at all of how we, the average punters, should we choose to 
can watch this. Yeah, and that's you know it was interesting when I was uh, making notes whenever I was listening to, to to the podcast and it was no TV production, no sponsor, and still no players. The interesting aspect there, just going to your point, Martin, about Phil Mickelson, Greg uh, is rolling out the red carpet. He is saying, "Look, we've we've all said the wrong things at the wrong time about the wrong subject, and I'm not going to I'm I'm not going to talk about the politics, and I'm not going to talk about the about the comments that that Phil made. But our arms are open and and ready to welcome. Of course, they are. Now, do you think do you think that would have changed if he had um, Xander Shoffley, Dustin Johnson, and Bry- Bryson DeChambeau whenever they all bailed out at Riviera? On, on on probably, and as we speculated at the time, advanced notice that there was an absolute bombshell coming from Alan Shipnock. I still think, and I watched another interview there with Alan Shipnock, and what he's saying is, yeah, I released those because they were very prescient at the time, and with the way the SGL was about to go live, and this was a very prescient piece of news, he says. But by the way, the book as a pile of other revelations. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the, the bit that Phil is quoted on. And, you know, Let Slip is the only quote from Phil. Yeah. Because he didn't interact on the book. He'd been given three opportunities to contribute. He never, he chose not to. And then he suddenly wanted to talk and it was about this and it was all about positioning. I actually think that uh, Phil is going to have to make a call somewhere. I agree. And I think the only call Phil can make is to crawl back and be the face of the SGL stroke live golf. Yeah. Um, because, and he's going to have to eat some humble pie and he's going to have to beg for forgiveness from people that maybe aren't always entirely forgiving. Yeah. And hope that Greg Norman needs him more because he is a brand. But I think the thing that could stymie this for them mm-hmm. in many, many ways is the lack of potential consumer engagement because you can't really watch it. Yeah. But you, the, the sort of the three-pronged business model in, in real simplistic terms, if I was to try and say this to somebody or trying to talk to somebody who, who doesn't play golf or doesn't understand it, say there's a there's a new market entrant, they're starting up a new golf league uh, or, or, or event, uh, maybe. Uh, yeah, and basically... Yes, I think that's a good yeah, phrase. Maybe. The, the three-pronged approach is that they're going to grow the game no, they're not. They're going to um, offer a uh, huge incentive uh, for yes, they for, are for for players um, to come and, and get well remunerated. And uh, the third one, which has gone completely out of my head, I can't remember exactly what it was, but uh, I think let, let let's deal let's deal with the first one: growing the game. To me, growing the game is grassroots foundations. You know, uh, changing that sixty-five and a half year average age of of the consumer uh, and bringing it to a much lower base. Um, you know, creating diversity, et cetera, et cetera. I, I, all I hear, and it sounds like Trump. Let's make America great again. Hi, where's the detail in that? And there's well, nothing there to benchmark. There, there is no detail exactly. It, if you look right now at what's coming off the Con Ferry Tour and with Ashke Batia and Seath the Gala who have come through, yeah. you know, making making progress. There is diversity creeping more into golf. Um, bizarrely, Harold Varner, who, who just won the Saudi Invitational, yeah. is another perfect example of, of, of diversity. And yes, there is always going to be a difficulty in getting a certain demographics into golf because it's the cost. Yeah. And unless you have public courses with 
real programs attached to the benefits of golf, but that's not coming from these guys. No. There's no chance it's coming no. from these guys. No. And, and this is the other thing is that Greg Norman saying, oh, you know, I, I love golf and I'm doing this for, for the love of golf, et cetera, et cetera. Like, What's your end in this, Greg? What do you get out of this? What, you know, and if, if, if he loves golf as much as he, as much as he says he does, and, and this isn't, a, you know, we're not naive enough to, 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 to suggest that he's, he's going to sit there and he's not going to take any of the upside. Of course he is. But I, I think. Do you think Greg's getting paid? I, I, I would hazard a guess he probably is. But, but the thing is, Martin, is that, you know, don't 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 treat us like fools. That that this is this is all um, from the goodness of his heart and, and different things. I think, you know, and the other side of it is the other point I was going to make is that he says it was about growing the game and different things. If you actually listen to the the Colt uh, Nost uh, podcast, the amount of times he references, um, you know, the players enriching themselves, um, you know, money going into the bank account, et cetera, et cetera. Let's call this what this is. This is this is this is an opportunity to, to commercialize golf for players to get really well paid uh, for him to make um, an awful lot of money out of it, and to a large extent. And he, I think he, he commented on it on, on the podcast as well. Is the, the kind of you know give the fingers to 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 the PGA for um, uh, what happened in nineteen ninety four. Uh, to me, that is the absolute catalyst from his thinking. Yeah, is that you know I'm owed. I, I I had my ideas stolen, knocked back, everything else. And again, Colt Nost was saying, you know, you are a, a PGA Tour player. You're a two-time major champion. This is a guy who had, uh, in one single year, won the Saturday Slam. Yeah. He led all four majors going into the final day. Yeah. And his conversion rate was not... Absolutely fantastic. And I think he is, there, there's no doubt in the way he says certain things and the way he comes across. He's definitely bitter, despite the fact he's done pretty well in life. Very much so. Um, but this thing I keep coming back to, they're piling money in for other reasons. And none of it is to do truly with the game of golf. Because again, you start looking at the golf courses, you start looking, there's no pedigree to these tournaments. It's a new format. Yes, most of us, if it was freely available, would stick our heads around the door, have a look at it, see if it excited us, etc. But in reality, even conceptually, why do I want it by comparison to the four majors, yeah. the Players' Championship, and, and a number of other events each year that I will watch from start to finish? Totally. And then a bit like, and I, I'm, I'm sorry to pick on the Valspar again uh, from last weekend, but there will be events. I really dipped into the Valspar for a bit of the last day. Same. I, I didn't really, I didn't find the golf course overly interesting. Um, I wasn't just wowed by, you know, even the field because there were a number of people not playing in it. Yeah. I'm much more interested in the upcoming uh, world match play. Yeah. And uh, by the way, I do hope Richard Bland has a brilliant week. Yeah. I would love to see him. Apparently, I think he has... Bryson DeChambeau in the first round. Oh, please, Blandy. Please, 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 just go get it. Please. Greg Norman referenced it. And again, this goes to to the whole point of just just where this where this guy is in terms of 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 uh, to a certain degree uh, and and listening to it fantasy whenever he was referencing the sort of um uh, the 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 TV coverage of of um the the NFL we said, oh, you know, at the Super Bowl, there was an opportunity to watch 12 to 15 different, um, you know, camera angles. I was like, 
This this one of the biggest sports in the world, so commercialized with with an unbelievable amount of of of, of capital flowing into it. Yep. It's not only that; it's got the dearest advertising of any TV broadcast there anywhere in the world. I knew you, one, I knew you would know this. A thirty second or a one minute commercial that is the premium product of in the entire yeah. television world yeah. for getting advertising revenue totally. and 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 the NFL and because it's such a special event, etc., etc., etc. But it's hugely American. Yeah. None of these events at this point yet carry any sort of prestige or any reason why advertisers, apart from the fact advertisers are probably going to stay away from certain things. Now, having said that, I would like to redress the balance a little bit. And as somebody said, if Greg Norman was backed by a German bank, (laughs) we wouldn't be actually making half as much of an issue about it. Plus, tours already... The PGA Tourist co-sanctioned events in China. Callaway Golf, who withdrawn from Phil because of his comments, get their clubs made in China. Yeah, there, there's, there's, you know, world economics yeah. has people dealing with countries all over the world. Some of them, most of minerals that up until recently, oil, gas, and everything were buying from the Russians, who yeah. maybe aren't doing things the way they should these days. Yeah. We actually need, if we lose Russian oil, we actually need the Saudis to produce a bit more. Exactly. So the world economics comes into this. I just don't want it hidden. Yeah. I don't want people saying we're doing it for this reason and this reason and look at us, we're kind of philanthropic. Yeah, totally. No, you're not. You're doing it for the reasons of improving your status in the world, how people view you, and we'll throw a pile of money at something to make it look like we're involved. And by the way, it's not the Saudi Golf League. Yeah. Greg has keep telling us that. It's not the Saudi Golf League. It's Live Golf. Yeah. But it isn't. But And this goes back to our point, Martin. Um, whenever we had heard the, the affiliation um, to Live Golf uh, Invitational um, from Lee Westwood, and Lee Westwood came out and said exactly what we wanted um, or we would expect all the others to come out and say. I'm being offered $50 million at, at this stage in my career to go and play golf. Of course I'm going to look I'm at gonna it. Of course I'm going to do it. I, was, I, I, I respect that. That is, that is fine. Yeah. And as one or two other people, and we've we've referenced Eamon Lynch on many occasions on the podcast, yeah. and Brandel Shambly uh, is another one who's been coming out and saying, that's fine if you don't care where the money comes from, but that's easy to say in one respect because there are plenty of times money has come from, I mean, let's be honest, people are talking about quite openly that, you know, human right records right across the Middle East hasn't been stellar, hasn't been stellar in China, hasn't been stellar in certain other places where golf has gone and been played. Yeah. And I think you can be, you can go too far in one way. I just think that there's so much high profile stuff and it's the fact that it's not transparent and honest and saying, Agreed. yeah, actually, we're, we're, we're coming. We, we know we haven't been good, but we're trying to make ourselves better, et cetera, et cetera. No, no, no. We're trying to hide the fact by doing this this thing. But they're do, going about it the wrong way. Yeah, agreed. And uh, again, if they're not changing society, I mean, I, I go back and I, again, I apologize, listeners, we, we're probably rambling on a little bit on this subject. But I go back to Greg Norman saying, you know, it has changed in Saudi Arabia. Women can eat in restaurants. <laughs> And I'm going... Like if that's your benchmark. You know, and they can drive. Well, I mean, those are, if those are your benchmarks that the world is changing, they're, they're kind of a bit thin. And you're trying to pretend it's about sport, but it isn't about sport. It's, it's about a whole range of other things, most primarily money. Yeah. And, and that's what makes the world go around. And anybody that doesn't recognize that, and it's the reason the PGA purses are going up. Yeah. 
But the PGA has well established with a great charitable arm. It's doing lots of other things. Is funding other tours. Is funding grassroots golf. So is the USGA. So is the RNA. Mm. These are people that have actually been doing this a long, long time. Greg's concept is very simply, I'm going to make a few people very rich. And if my employers are happy with me, and I'm making people rich, and it's all perceived that it comes, and this is all yeah. lovely dollars, then they'll forget about a few other bits it's and pieces. It's transparent. And I think this is the most important thing, is that there will be players out there um, who will go for this, purely and, and simply on the basis that they, they you know, and I'm speculating here, but the, the, the calibre of some of the golfers in the context of, of professional golf will go to the go to this this uh, league to, to do a cash grab to, to, to set themselves up financially to look after their families and and Greg has pretty much said that he said like you know people will go out there and they'll they'll, they'll try and uh, you know turn up win some of these or or partake get very well remunerated and they'll take care of their families okay fine that, that's but great the PGA tour yeah. takes care of your family if you exactly. if you can stay at 100 yeah. on the PGA tour 100th on the PGA tour which means you're in every year yeah you stay in there and you've got the pension program yeah. and you've got the prize money that goes with being hundredth on the tour, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. I think it, it, there's something daft, like something like the top, top 110 players, maybe slightly more, all earned a million dollars. Yeah. And they've got the pension plans because they make cuts and, you know, all, yeah. all the rest of And it. that's on course. That's on course. Yeah. And, and again, the, this, is, this is where I keep on coming back to is that, this is not just about money for a lot of players. There's legacy here, and and the likes of uh, you know the Rorys and, and stuff who have come out and said, Do you know what, I want to play where the best players are playing. Yeah, but that's an interesting yeah, statement. Yeah, yeah, which leads us on to when half the best players have actually taken the money grab and moved down the road. Yeah. Now, if I'm Rory, uh, who is good enough to win on any given day, and half the good players go and play in this no nothing non event position, yeah. but just earn a load of money. And I can win legacy tournaments. I can win majors. I can go back and I can finish with eight majors instead of four, or I can do such and such. Yeah. That will interest him far more. Yeah. I'm not really thinking about our established set and core set at the moment, the PGAers or the I might movers. Yeah, I agree. It's the next generation. Yeah. And when the next generation of superstars come out, they're going, yeah, I'm not in this for legacy. I'm in this for money. Yeah. This is why this episode has kind of dragged on a little bit where we've actually, because all of this has suddenly become very, very open. It's live. It's, it's so live, live. Yeah. and it's going to happen. And Greg is, you know, famously in Northern Ireland, and for anybody that's been around Northern Ireland long enough, you'll understand the phrase, it hasn't gone away, you know. <laughs> and I think there's a certain element that the SGL is very much it hasn't gone away, you know, yeah. and it isn't going to go away and it's going to sit there in the background and it is going to make some sort of progress. Mm -hmm. But rather than on you and me, Mike, go round and round in circles, and and again, we've updated this episode, so it's kind of borderline, uh, not quite a double episode, but it's, it, it's getting out there. There's a couple of other good news stories I'd like to touch on before we finish tonight's pod. Um, and certainly, by the way, uh, Des, who will be back, uh, hopefully, for the, the next pod, which, by the way, will be our half century. It'll be our 50th episode, the, the next one. Congratulations, Um Well, um, it all depends if you're a regular listener. Maybe you go, eh, I wish they'd stop. But anyway, here's a couple of very quick and interesting points. Great little story came out of a Mexican Tour Monday qualifier. 
I love this story because this is the sort of thing that this is what golf really can do. Okay, Juan Carlos Serrano was two over standing on the seventh tee Mm -hmm. in a Monday qualifier. And he goes on to shoot 63. Wow. So he was two over after seven and he birdied 11 of the last 13 holes. He birdied 11 of the last 13. Is there, a, is there a record in there in terms of sequential birdies? I don't know. I don't think so. I, I Whatever way, and I should have checked that, I suppose, at the time. But um, I just thought, that's the sort of story where you go, there's somebody who does something, and that's a Monday qualifier. That's brilliant. And that's what we talk about, the 280, in the world. No offence to Juan Carlos Serrano. Never heard of him. Never heard of him. There, but there's a guy who can, on a pro tournament, shoot a 63 with 11 of the last 13 holes birdied. That's stellar. Um, another great story, by the way. Ryan Brame uh, was playing recently his last start of a medical exemption in Puerto Rico. He needed a top two finish to keep his card because mm-hmm. otherwise it was all over. He wins the tournament. He gets a two-year exemption. His wife, Chelsea, was his caddy. And uh, she remembered, apparently, after he wanted to go back and grab the flag because uh, he had completely was overwhelmed. And I heard Harry Higgs and a few others, he praised on these two for being awesome people and that they had been very supportive of other players and then they'd had their own tough times and and various things. And a lot of players at various times had stayed with them and, you know, they were nice people. So there's a great news story that somebody, and he's now on, and he was playing in the Players' Championship because they actually did cover him very, very briefly. I don't know if he made the cut, but uh, there's somebody who's now won a two-year exemption and he's a tournament win. And so, you know, out of nowhere, you're on your last legs and suddenly you go. And this is the point that it it makes. And finally, at Bay Hill, Max Homa, who's a a regular uh, on this show. Well, Max Max Homa isn't a regular (laughs) on the show, but we regularly talk about Max Homa (laughs) on the show. Uh, He got a hole in one at Bay Hill. He didn't see it. He actually (laughs) said, I was heading back to get a water. I have terrible eyes. So I wait for people to either clap or not clap. <laughs> I love Max Homa, he's brilliant. And you know, you, you just sort of go, that is the sort of stuff that you actually think is absolutely magnificent. Yeah. Where you go, I actually don't know, you know, uh, how, how how can a pro not have good eyes in some shape or form? I just hit it and it goes roughly down there. And, uh, that, would, anyway, that would be boring, wouldn't it? It would. So uh, Max actually uh, hits it and doesn't say it go in. But the crowd goes nuts and he goes, well, I was just going to get a bottle of water. To all the listeners, definitely follow him on Twitter. He's he's very, very funny. There are a number of good follows on on Twitter, um, but uh, I don't know who I would recommend more than Max Homa on on Twitter. Just Uh, Harry Higgs. Well, Harry is, Harry's good. Um, And of recent, I think Joel Damon's caddy. Oh, really? Is, is pretty entertaining as well. Um, although I think those two know how to party. Yeah. That yeah. would be my strong suspicion. Anyway, unless, Mike, you have any hidden gems away in the notes and all the rest of it, um, we'd like to thank the listeners tonight for their patience. We've certainly covered a range of subjects. Um, and uh, we will be... 
Well, we keep saying we're going to return to a kind of more normalised episode, and and I suppose maybe when we reach the point where we have what we call almost our off-season, we'll drop a few more episodes with the stories from our tours and, and various things, which is where we'd originally started to go. We would love listeners you to get in touch and give us opinions on on any of the stuff we've raised as i say you can listen to a lot of podcasts you can see a lot of tv content on where this is going at the moment but it's real it's live it's happening now and depending on where you sit in all of this uh will depend on your your actual viewpoints i think the political aspect of the sgl live golf investment is being potentially overplayed what i don't think is being overplayed is how much the the established format of golf could be altered or wrecked by major disputes legal battles various things that would take away from our enjoyment of this game on a range of courses that we love to see and some new courses being introduced so i i think what happens over the next couple of months is going to be very interesting i don't even know if we're really going to see it yeah. Uh, or we're just going to read about it and, and they're hoping that over time it'll get the coverage, etc., etc. But I'll tell you where we were spot on right from the start. We said that Trump courses would be involved. Yeah. We actually, long before they were officially announced, we said Trump courses will be involved. And uh, lo and behold, totally. they're involved. So until we actually come back uh, for the next episode, which is our 50th episode. And um, Des will definitely be back for that one. Uh, hopefully everybody's uh, well. COVID is, hasn't, doesn't seem to have gone away entirely. We've had various uh, brushes with it over the last few weeks. But um, until then, on behalf of In the Footsteps of Giants, my name is Morton. Um, this is Young Mike. And I think uh, if Des was here, he would say... Yeah, you boys talked a lot tonight. I hardly got a word in edgeways. And, you know, he's probably right. right. If you've enjoyed this episode of In the Footsteps of Giants, please hit the subscribe button from wherever you get your podcasts. Also, if you'd like to leave us a good review, that would be most helpful as well. And... If you'd like to interact with the podcast, please use our Twitter feed, which is at itfog under slash podcast, and we'll happily deal with any queries or suggestions that you might uh, like to give us for future episodes. <laughs>